Hey everyone, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where we interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast, and sometimes we get a little coffee smarter in the process. Today's guest is Kyle Rosa. He is the farmer behind Blue Tail Coffee Grove in San Marcos, California, and is opening his own roastery cafe called Breakers Coffee and Wine in Del Mar, California. The Del Mar location is still under construction, but they are on track to open in June or July. Follow their Instagram account at breakers underscore Delmar for updates on the cafe's opening day. Kyle's Farm is affiliated with the fringe network of coffee farms that are popping up all over Southern California. Earlier this season on this show, I spoke to the founder of Fringe Coffee, Jay Rusky. You should definitely check out that show too, and I'll link to it on roastwestcoast.com. When I booked Kyle for this episode, I did not really understand how his farm was a part of the larger network of farms. I somewhat naively thought that a bunch of individuals had chosen SoCal to start coffee farms all at the same time. Blue Tail Coffee Grove is about three acres, which made me wonder how big a plot of land has to be to be considered a farm. Turns out there isn't a specific answer to that question. The USDA generally defines a small farm as any establishment which produces and sold, or would have sold, $1,000 or more of agricultural products during the year. I'm not really sure what would have sold means. They also sometimes quantify farm size by total revenue or by acreage. A farm that brings in $250,000 or less per year is considered small according to one document, and another says that the average size of a small farm is about 231 acres, which is obviously significantly bigger than Bluetail. And yet Kyle is caring for thousands of plants on his acres. The more I thought about it, the more I came to feel that a farm can't really be defined by dollars or acres. Rather, a farm is a place where agriculture is grown. It is a place where plants, often ones that end up as food, or in this case drink, are raised and cared for, and eventually harvested for the benefit of the rest of us who like to eat and drink things. What I'm getting at is that I have a lot of thoughts about farms, and about food, and about drink. But for now, I'm just going to fill up my coffee mug, and I encourage you to do the same because it is time for the show and this interview with Kyle Rosa, coffee farmer, coffee roaster, cafe owner, husband, and father. And we'll be uh, be ready to go. Kyle Rosa, um, uh, multiple roles, multiple titles. Uh, I believe you're the founder of Blue Tail Coffee Grove, an organic coffee farm in coastal California. And you also started Breakers Del Mar, a sister cafe in Del Mar, obviously. Is that correct? So it's, uh, yeah, so Blue Tail Coffee Grove Organic in San Marcos, uh, up in the hills in North County, San Diego. And then it's actually um, Breakers Coffee and Wine is is the name of the company. It's in Del Mar. Uh, it's in the Del Mar Highlands Town Center over on Del Mar Heights Road. And what's the status of that cafe right now? Yeah. You know, you and I, I'm just going to say, because this won't come out for a few weeks, we're talking in uh, mid-April. And so just where, where are you guys at with the cafe today? Yeah, we're we're luckily in construction now. Um, it's been a long process. You know, obviously we got halted last year with with COVID and the pandemic, like everybody else did. So we we lost a year. Uh, had to change locations. You know, it was a it was a really really big process. Didn't know if it was going to happen after that, but we we finally got permits a couple of weeks ago. We started construction last week, and we're going to be opening in June 2021. So just a couple months. Yeah, great. Very cool. That was something I was going to ask you about later, and, and I'm going to get to that, but just how the pandemic slowed things down for you. 
Before we get too deep into what you're doing now, I'm, I'm hoping to learn a little bit more about you. Where did you come from? What before coffee? You know, who who's Kyle Rosa? Yeah, you know, uh, pretty easy, pretty easy to answer. You know, I just I was born and raised in a small town in in the mountains of Vermont. Uh, we had 400 people in my in my town, so we had that general store and a softball field in the church. So, kind of that quintessential uh, growing up that that life back there. Went to school at UVM in, in Burlington, Vermont. So I spent most of my life there. Decided to make a move uh, in my early to mid-20s. Wanted to kind of see something new. And I had some family in San Diego. So I packed up my car and, and drove across country about as far as I could possibly go. Uh, ended up in San Diego. Really didn't like it at first. Uh, it was kind of a culture shock to me, obviously, coming from such a small town to a big city. But it grew on me. I learned to love it. And uh, I met my wife here. And basically, uh, yeah, the story's written from there. We, we did spend some time up in San Francisco, about three or four years in San Francisco for work. Always thought I was going to be starting a vineyard up there, uh, but, you know, that didn't work out. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of another story, uh, so to speak. So that's kind of my, my bio. I've got time for stories. <laughs> uh, weren't you working in tech at some point before this? I think I read. Yeah, so I've been I've been working in tech for over 15 years. Was working in tech for over 15 years. So from from college right out until uh, my early 30s, and you know it was one of those things where I went to college and I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. And you know, at one point I needed to pick a degree because they make you pick a degree in year three. So I picked business because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I kind of fell into accounting. And it was it was somewhat easy for me. I'm a numbers guy, so it was the path of least resistance. I started down that road, and uh, I worked, you know, mostly small companies, uh, bookkeeping things like that. I was a tax preparer, so doing income taxes. It turned out to be really a, a great foundation for me um, because without that, without that business expertise and that knowledge and, and understanding accounting and taxes. I don't think I'd be starting this business. You know, there would just be too too much for me to learn because uh, I'm already trying to learn the coffee side of it and the wine side of it. So that foundation was great to have, but I did find that I was kind of following the path of least resistance uh, for my career. And I never really stopped to think what I wanted to do. I turned around and I was in my early thirties and I'm like, oh, wow, I should probably, I should probably pick a degree in life, so to speak. So me and my wife were up in San Francisco at the time. I was the North America payroll manager for Uber and I uh, kind of saw my next 10 to 15 years laid out in front of me in my career, and I didn't really necessarily like it. So me and my wife decided to come back to San Diego, have a family, and, and kind of grow some roots down here. Her family's down here as well, and I got some family down here. So it was just kind of the logical solution. And we love San Diego. Uh, we love the lifestyle. We love you know how slow-paced it is. But if you want to kind of have a fast-paced life, you can down here. So we just we love the dynamic we're very outdoorsy. So we love the beach, the mountains, the desert, you know, anything we want to do it's within a couple hours of doing. So, it, you know, there couldn't be a better place to, to grow up and, uh, and raise a family in my eyes. Basically, you know, coming back down here, I knew I didn't want to be in finance. I knew I didn't want to, you know, jump back into that world. So kind of the, you know, funneling it down from there is not easy. I, I got to cross one thing off the list, but then there's a million other things to do. And I always wanted to open a vineyard. I've always been very interested in wine, uh, winemaking. My wife went to college in Sonoma, so we got to visit there a lot. We always thought we were going to open up a, a vineyard and 
live on the vineyard making wine, <laughs> you know, that, that whole lifestyle. But uh, just getting a vineyard up and running and, and the winemaking facility is just millions of dollars. And, you know, if you want to be in a good region like Sonoma or Napa, it's just, it's astronomical. So we weren't going to take that route. We weren't going to sink everything plus more that we didn't have into into something, not knowing what was going to turn out. And, you know, the market's pretty flooded for, for wine as well. So I, I started looking for alternative crops to grow. And I met a company called French in Santa Barbara, Goleta. And what they were doing is they were just barely starting to sell coffee plants made to grow in SoCal. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting. Um, I've always liked coffee and I've always seen the similarities of coffee and wine. So I went to a couple meetings with them, went to a couple expos, got to go up to Goleta and, and talk to a couple people. You know, Jay Rusky's the founder, uh, Andy Mullins, the, the COO, got to speak with him. And, you know, they really sold me on the idea. So I decided that was going to be it. I was going to be a coffee farmer in San Diego. And uh, this was about three years ago. So that's where that's where the story started. What was that feeling like of of knowing you were going to leave a steady, stable job with Uber, but not knowing necessarily? I'm assuming at that time you didn't know yet that coffee farming was going to be the way you were going to go. So was there was there a moment where you made that decision and then you kind of you thought, I'm going to backtrack this. I'm going to. I don't know if I can do this. Like, you know, it's a pretty big jump from working with numbers and in an office on a computer to working with your hands and on the land. I mean, I think we all think we want to do stuff like that, but it's a different, it's a different ball game to actually go do it, which you did. Yeah, it, for sure. It's glorified, right? You, you see the positives in it, but nobody, unless you're doing it, sees the, the labor and, and the 110 degree days where you're outside for eight hours working and, and those types of things. But have there been times where, I guess I could say it like this. If I knew how much work it was actually going to be, I wouldn't have done it. But <laughs> now that I'm doing it, I'm, I'm so glad that I did. It's one of those things where you just don't want to know how bad it is just so you can keep moving forward. But with that said, I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, just the experiences I've had, the people I've met over the last three years. And I, like I said, I come from a very small town in Vermont. I got my tractor safety license before I got my actual vehicle license. So I do kind of have a leg up there. You know, we were surrounded by farmland, you know, some of my good friends are farmers. So I I did have experience in, in that regard, but doing it on my own in San Diego of all places, you know, in terrain, coastal desert mountain terrain, which I've never had experience with has been very, very different and coffee, coffee grows here, but it doesn't grow naturally here. So if, you know, if I let it go for more than a week, you know, bad things happen. So it, it does need attention. It does need a lot of care. And, you know, we're, we're not a coffee growing region, so to speak, yet, uh, but we're going to become one. I truly believe that. It's just we have a lot of hurdles to overcome. We don't have historical data here. You know, all the techniques are going to be very, very different from other coffee growing regions. We don't have rain that comes down every day like Hawaii uh, to water the plant. So we got to put the water on. The labor costs in San Diego are astronomical compared to other coffee growing regions. So our break even points are going to be astronomical. So we need to produce the highest quality coffee that, that, you know, we possibly can for that to be able to sustain itself. But we're, we're seeing all these things happen. I think it's really 
interesting because you just listed off a whole bunch of things that sound like this is a bad idea. <laughs> and yet you seem really happy with the choice that you've made. So you must see that there's a there's an opportunity or there's a future for this. I mean, you, you just said that you really believe that there's a future for this. Why are you so confident in that? And what trends are you seeing in your day-to-day work that make you think, yeah, this is this is going to work here? Yeah, there's it's kind of two-part. It's for me personally and my family, will this work? That's that's the first question. And, you know, we start, I, you know, I started the coffee grove and I, I just wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to be out there every day on the farm working. But I did quickly see that, you know, it, unless you're a millionaire, that's not going to happen. You know, it's a three year runtime before you even get your first crop. And then what happens if your first crop's small? What happens if your quality is not quite there? You know, there's just a lot of things that could go wrong. So I decided to start Breakers Coffee and Wine to supplement that to build the vertical just to, to say, okay, well, if this doesn't necessarily work, you know, what else can we do? And it followed the same suit. I, you know, I've been roasting coffee for years. I absolutely love That's a nice Starbucks cup you got right there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You can make fun of my Starbucks cup, but I think this was a gift in like 2005 or something. And it's just gotcha. <laughs> it's been making the rounds ever since, you know, it just holds up. Yeah. I actually thought about it when I pulled it out of the cabinet before doing this. I'm like, he's going to see my, Starbucks up, but my normal mug is my normally coffee cycle coffee cycle mug is is uh, in the wash. So. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But now it's on record, and everybody's going to know that I'm drinking out of a Starbucks cup. Thanks a lot, Kyle. <laughs> but we all have our favorite mug, right? We all have that one mug that we go to. Yeah, I have the same mug that I use every day, and uh, then the same I have, I have one travel cup that I use, and I don't know why I like it. I just there could be twenty other mugs in the in the cabinet, but that's the one that I grab all the time. Yep. Yeah, it's like that old T-shirt just fits right. Yeah, but to jump back into what we were talking about, basically, the you know I, I've been roasting for a couple of years now. I I've absolutely fallen in love with coffee. It, it's one of those it's one of those things that so closely mimics wine. Coffee is about terroir. Coffee is about the land, and the quality of coffee starts at the origin. And I'm I'm a firm believer in farmers first when it comes to to roasting. When it comes to the cafes, I think the farmers need to be put first. The co-ops need to be put first. We really need to get back to origin so that the quality cycle can continue. Um, the more money that we put in the pockets of the farmers, the better those farms could become, the quality could increase, and the cycle continues. And really, that's kind of why I started Breakers as well, being a coffee farmer myself. I was able to see firsthand what what uh, hurdles you have to overcome, how the sea market can be just you know, devastating at times, how climate change is devastating certain regions, um, how hard it is, you know, to get the money back into the farmer's hand because there's so many middlemen at this point who who it has to make it through. So that is another big part of why I did Breakers is I, I want to see that quality cycle continue for, for the farmers. So you were talking a little bit earlier about just the, the higher expense of running a coffee farm in the San Diego area which leads me to believe that the coffee served at Breakers will also be a little more expensive or a premium product, which which obviously lends itself well to the location you've chosen and, and to the wine community. So the businesses obviously complement each other. What will be your role at Breakers once it's once it's open? Because it sounds like you're you're really invested in the day-to-day of the farm. Mm. Yeah. I'm so I'll be the roaster, the head roaster at Breakers. I'll be the the green coffee purchaser and I will be the manager. 
So I, I have a lot of hats that I'm going to be wearing at Breakers. The farm, we're going to be coming into production next summer, and it's really going to start kicking off at that point. Right now, we're, I'm probably up at the farm three days a week working, and basically what I'm doing there is I, I'm fertigating, uh, we're making sure our water lines are, are clear. Weeding is a big thing. You know, we're in weed season right now, so weeds are just growing three feet a week, and we're going to knock them back down. We're organic. So we're not using any, you know, pesticides, herbicides, anything like that. So it, it does make things a lot tougher. You know, we're not going to go out there and throw a roundup on it. You know, it's just not what we believe in. And we got our organic certification through CCOF a couple of weeks ago, actually, for the farm. So that was a that was a very exciting time and a long process, but well worth it. So everything up at the farm's hand touch right now. We're about three acres planted, so we're just big enough where it's almost impossible for me alone to do it but just small enough where we don't want to hire full-time work. So it's kind of a, a weird middle ground we're in. And I'm hoping that we can really expand after next summer, after we get our first crop going, get some cash flow going and really start to expand the acreage so that we can up production. How much coffee does three acres produce? I'm, I'm originally from the Midwest. And so I think of like corn or dairy farms and they're, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of acres uh, at this point. What, what kind of, crop do you anticipate from three acres? Will it be enough to sustain a coffee shop? Will it be, you know, how, I guess I'm wondering where that ratio goes. Like how did that number come about? Yeah. I put as many trees in the ground as I possibly could financially. That's where the three acres came about. But basically a coffee tree is going to produce about 12 pounds of cherries per year. And then after the milling processing, the drying process, you take an eighth of that to get your green coffee. So we're going to be producing just over 2000 pounds of green coffee a year. That's plenty for a single coffee shop. I was going to say that's plenty for the house here, but you know, whatever yeah. <laughs> else. <laughs> the beautiful thing about San Diego and SoCal in itself as a coffee growing region is our is our climate. So we have a Mediterranean kind of climate where we're at. We have very kind of long and, and somewhat tame summers. So the coffee takes a long time to mature, and what happens is the sugars within the cherries itself mingle with the bean and it creates a very, very complex, very kind of sweet, acidic tea-like coffee, which is, you know, those are the coffees that at the auctions are selling for astronomical rates right now. That's the coffees that are, are, are seeming to be bursting through, you know, Ethiopian coffees where, where coffee comes from is acidic. It ha- follows that, that similar structure. So we're going to be getting very, very high quality coffees from San Diego and SoCal. We already are. The coffees that are coming out are scoring in the high 80s, low 90s. What we need to do is we need to increase supply because the demand is already there. I mean, all the coffees are selling out as quick as we're getting them. So what we need to do is get more farmers on board. We need to bring more farmland on board for coffee in San Diego and Fringe. Luckily, we have a company like Fringe who is pushing that. So if anybody listening to this is interested in coffee or has land, contact Fringe and and, then take a look. They'll be happy to hear you say that. I did interview Jay uh, Rusky earlier uh, this season. It'll be a oh, good uh, compliment to, to them. What about you? What You mentioned you've been roasting coffee for years. What was your first kind of experience with coffee, you know, kind of memorable moment where you said, oh, that's that's something that I really enjoy or something that I like, or uh, was it just something that was always there for you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a funny story. It's not a typical origin story, and it probably makes me look a little worse off than I should say, but 
I, uh, my first interaction with actual coffee was in my early twenties. I was, I was living in a bachelor pad back in Vermont with my friends. And I think we were drinking the night before and we woke up the next day and probably had a bit of a hangover. And, you know, with any bachelor pad, we had nothing in the fridge, you know, no milk, no anything like that, no sugar, but we had coffee. So we decided just to make the coffee black. We'll drink it, whatever. And that was my first interaction with black coffee where I was like, well, I kind of like this. I didn't know that's what coffee actually tasted like, you know, because we just pour sugar and sugar and milk in it. After that, it was kind of a slow burn until my early 30s when I really dove into coffee, when I started to see the intellectual side of it, when I started to see the process side of it. And uh, like I said, I'd always been very interested in wine and winemaking, did some winemaking myself just at home and I wanted to see what that life was like with coffee. So I started, you know, I was up in San Francisco. I started going to the blue bottles, those types of things. I started reading up on it as much as I possibly could. And like I said, a very slow burn until, until basically we moved back to San Diego and I decided to make it my life. It wasn't one of those aha moments. It was, it was one of those, it crept up on me until it was there. And then it was like, okay, coffee's it. I love coffee. This is what I want to do. Uh, this is what I want to immerse myself in. It's the best of everything that I want. I can be outdoors. I can go to new regions and, and visit new places, exotic places, meet great people. I can make something with my hands every single day by roasting it. I can share it with the world. So it was just, it was one of those things that really just made sense for me. And how is the, how is your family adjusted to it? You know, you, your wife moved down here and I mean, is she on board with it or is there days where she's like, all right, like let's get to the wine part. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she, you know, she, I had to, she signed off from the very beginning. So I hold her to it. Cause I, I kind of made that a thing where, you know, you sign off, sign this, sign and date this letter right here. Just saying <laughs> that you're willing. Um, cause we knew it was going to change our lives. We knew it was going to be very, very different from the lifestyles we were living at the time. And, and obviously we were going to be sinking everything we had into it. So we really wanted to make it go, you know, opening up a farm in the same time as opening up a coffee shop, you know, it's, it's financially a huge burden and, and we're trying to do everything we can on our own. And and we're, we're trying to keep labor costs down. I'm the farmer as well as the manager at breakers. My wife is uh, pregnant again, so we, we have a two-year-old daughter, and, and she's pregnant. We have a little boy on the way, and I don't know how this happened, but the due date is the same date as opening the coffee shop. <laughs> so it just it's one of those things that just worked out that way. To me, that seems like an easy. We're gonna we're gonna open the coffee shop on a different day. <laughs> <To me. laughs> exactly. Uh, I feel yeah. like that's the right move right, all around. Right. Uh, where yeah. did the name Blue Tail Coffee Grove come from? Why not just name the cafe Blue Tail Coffee Roasters? Yeah, so the name Breakers came first. Um, actually, I didn't name the coffee farm until very recently. So Breakers is a double meaning. You know, our, our logo is ocean oriented. Uh, it's a wave crashing over with another wave coming up. So, you know, out past the Breakers was kind of a, a theme we were going for. But also when you're cupping coffee, your first interaction with that coffee is breaking the crust. We really kind of wanted to build as much into the name as we possibly could for, for Breakers. Blue Tail, we named it after this lizard up at the, uh, the farm. that are They're just all over the place up there. It's the orange-throated whiptail. And their tails are, they can be neon blue. And it's just the craziest thing to see. So I decided to keep it, you know, very, very local to the farm. I wanted to name it after 
something indigenous, something up there. You know, we have roadrunners up there. So we were looking at those and, and, and everything. And I just thought it made perfect sense to call it blue tail. And it was just such a, a different name, so to speak. So I felt it would stick. I agree with that. I think that there's a, is a nice symbolism that you are connecting it to the land and that the name came organically to you. It wasn't like you went in like, okay, we're breakers over here. We're going to do breakers over here. It was, no, this land is, is reflecting this story back to me in, in the form of these lizards, which is pretty cool. We were talking earlier about how long it takes to produce a cup of coffee or to produce the, the beans to go into the coffee. And for you guys, I think you were anticipating um, your own coffee to be ready uh, next year, right? Yes. So we're going to have our first blue tail harvest next uh, summer slash fall. So we're we're looking forward to that, but we'll probably only have about half of our half of our trees will probably be in full production. The other half are just going to be coming up. We did have a couple of events in the first year. In the first winter, we got hit with a frost, which was extremely rare. So of course, it hit on our first year. And we lost 37% of our trees. We were able to replace them. We were able to come back from it. Luckily, luckily we had coffee tree insurance. And, and I, I believe I was the first, one of the first people in the U.S. to get coffee tree insurance on the contiguous U.S. They had to build the plan for us. So luckily that came through in time. We replaced the trees. And then this last winter, we got hit with those 50 mile an hour winds for two days in February. And those, you know, annihilated another couple hundred trees for us. So we lost 17% this last winter. So it's, it's kind of an iterative process where, you know, we'll have 2000 trees out there. We'll lose 500, replant them. And then out of that 500, we'll lose 250, replant them until we kind of get to full production. And they're all at different places in their, in their process. So knowing that your future crop, it, it was out there, you know, after this year and then living through and watching what was happening in the coffee industry during the pandemic, was it a relief to know that your crops weren't anticipated, that you were planning that far out? Was it, what was the emotional impact of that like, knowing that this is the industry that you're in and, and seeing what the world was like? What was it like to go an entire year watching this and knowing that you are your farm is going to be ready to produce after this hopefully ends? Yeah. So for the farm, you know, to be honest, it didn't make much of a difference on the farming side. We saw we saw the big shift from wholesale to direct sale. We saw that people were still buying coffee. We saw that people were still very excited about San Diego and California coffee in general. So it didn't really hit me as hard there in terms of the farm. Where it hit us really hard was breakers. We were actually going to open in March of last year when everything shut down. So basically, we were going to be opening in Cardiff. Um, I live in Cardiff, so we're going to be opening right down the street. And, uh, you know, the pandemic hit, everything locked down, our lease fell apart. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're a coffee shop without a shop, nowhere to go. And obviously, we weren't going to push forward, not knowing what the future entailed. So that was extremely scary uh in terms of what do we do now you know we we had planned on opening up we had planned on that entire year of starting to get some income flowing some cash flow going you know that that relates to the farm as well since we have the vertical you know how much money can we now put into the farm you know because that revenue stream's gone from the coffee shop so we didn't really know where we were going to land there we didn't know if we were going to continue with breakers or if we would just push wholeheartedly into the farming itself 
we we kept at it and and actually the Delmar Highlands uh, one of the brokers reached out to us and said they had a space specifically where they wanted coffee and wine uh, right next to the sky deck uh, that was the use that they wanted and I don't know how but somehow they they knew that we were looking for a space so that started a 3 month negotiation <laughs> to you know in the middle of a pandemic to see if if we could come to terms and make something work and uh it probably worked out in our favor, you know, during the pandemic to be able to negotiate a lease. But also we didn't know when things were going to let up. We didn't know when things were going to get better, if they were going to get better, if life was just going to be changed going forward for retail restaurants. Um, so we took the gamble and signed the lease. And and luckily, you know, everybody knows what's happened since then. And, and we were able to get permits and constructions going. And we're hopefully going to open in June, hopefully when everybody you know, is going to maybe start venturing out again, who knows, but uh, we have seen the devastation that it's done to, you know, to other people and, and having a closed shop for so long. And maybe that gave us a, uh, a way into the market, you know, because San Diego has a lot of good coffee shops. And I know, you know, that cause you've been interviewing them all. So, you know, to get into this market's not easy with some of these bigger players. So it might have it might have given us a little leg up to be able to squeeze into the market so that we can start to get our our quality coffee out there. Mm -hmm. The thing I was thinking about while you were talking and also listening, I'm also listening, <laughs> but I was also thinking about how a year ago, a year and a month or so, the uncertainty level, things are still uncertain now. But at the time, there was this. Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Is it a month? And then after that first month, that kind of shifted and it was, is it a year? Is it five years? Is it two? Nobody really knew. And at, at the beginning, the projections for any sort of vaccine was like three to five years. Mm -hmm. And so we really didn't know if people were going to be opening up again or how things were going to change. And we've had this kind of rolling, this rolling expectation of the calendar, of the timeline, of when things are going to happen. And and some things are happening now with opening. You know, it seems like whether they're the smart decision or not, they're happening with COVID. And some things with COVID, we just don't know yet because it really hasn't been a long enough time. And so to to continue down this process and to find opportunity to me kind of takes a lot of guts uh, to say, I'm going to yeah, I'm going to sign a lease and commit myself to this. That's all I wanted to say. Good for you. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. It, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the support of my family, you know, without them, without them behind me and, and saying, follow your dreams. You know, you're, you're good at this. You know, this is something that could be, you know, why not share this with everybody if you can kind of thing. So I, I think without the support of them, you know, they've called me crazy before. I mean, they still do call me crazy, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things where they understand they understand the craziness, uh, whereas maybe some other people wouldn't. They uh, they get it, and I think everybody's got to be a little crazy to to get you know to follow their dreams and, and get what they want out of life. Well, and just to be in this particular industry, I mean, uh, there's not a lot. You need to have a certain personality to say, "I want to open a farm in 2021." I mean, it's just a. It's not the first thing you think of when you think about stability. And, and as right. you've mentioned, you know, these first two years, you've been beholden to a, a pandemic, to weather events, to different things. So you're on a, a whole, uh, there's that COVID calendar and there's life calendar, and then there's that farm calendar. And that's an entirely mm -hmm. different animal. 
if you're going to have a cup of coffee, if you could go somewhere else, you go to one of those other shops in San Diego that are, that are so good. What are you ordering? What are you getting in just your outside of work life? Yeah, right now I'm, I'm drinking as much coffee as I possibly can without ODing on caffeine. You know, I just, <laughs> I really, you know, right now I just, I need to see what's out there. I need to familiarize myself. There's so many great coffee shops around here doing so many great things. And, and to be able to be in this market, I need to understand, you know, what, what others are doing and, and what we're doing comparatively. And, you know, we want to be a little different. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to be status quo. We don't want to be comparative to, to other places. We want to be breakers. We want to be blue tail. We want to be standalones. So we want to be integrated into the system, but also apart from it. So with that said, I'm, I'm literally just, and, and my wife will, will yell at me because we have so many bags of coffee around the house and they're just stacking up. And then, you know, we have my, my sample roaster that I'm roasting on daily. And, uh, my, I, my roaster actually is currently in the garage until we move it into the facility. So I'm in the garage roasting, you know, 10 pounds at a time and we have nowhere to put it. So I'm giving my friends uh, home Depot buckets full of coffee. Um, and they don't know what to do with it. So there's just, there's coffee strewn about everywhere at this point. I feel like you need to start like your, on your email list, you know, come by with your, you know, your lunch pail and we'll fill it up with coffee, but all you got to do <laughs> exactly. is sign up on the email list. Exactly. Anything I didn't ask you or that we didn't cover about either blue tail or breakers or you, uh, that you think listeners should know. Yeah. Um, you know, for the farm we're the beautiful thing about the farm is we're growing different varieties. And I'm really excited about some of the varieties we're growing. We have two varieties that are kind of on a, on our similar spectrum. We have the geisha. Now the geisha is a coffee that's natural, so to speak. It's not a hybrid. And geishas right now are just all the buzz. They produce a very tea-like, a very complex, sweet, acidic coffee. So we're trying to grow geishas up at the farm. It has been one of the hardest crops to grow. They're tall, they're thin, they're spindly, not a lot of leaves, so they they die quick. If, if they're not getting exactly what they need, even they die, even if they're getting exactly what they need, they've been the hardest to grow, but they have been producing and will produce probably the, the highest quality coffee. The others that we have is the Rojo. And basically the Rojo is the opposite of that, where it's kind of shorter, fatter, tons of leaf cover, and they grow the best. We lose very little of them just because they're so well protected. They are a hybrid. So they make up more than 50% of our farm currently. We have others like uh, Pacamara, we have Amarillo, Pacas, and one that I'm very excited about is called Lorena. The Lorena is a naturally half-caffeinated coffee. Um, so for people who are susceptible to caffeine or who may want a coffee later in the day, they don't have to get you know the processed decaf coffees. They can get something like a Lorena and you know just really enjoy the, the taste of it without all that processing that goes into making a decaf. So that's something I'm very excited about up at, at Blue Tail that we're working on right now. The decaf thing is something I've been learning a lot about. I, I think I used to have a maybe a preconceived notion that it just wouldn't taste as good or that there was something wrong with it. Mm -hmm. But because of this show, I am drinking a lot of coffee and there I could use some decaf, <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> We'll get some Lorena for you. Yeah, I, I've been learning a lot more about uh, about that about that process and how much harder it is. And so I'm I've actually just this week started ordering some decaf coffees from around town just to see how it compares quality wise. Because I can't honestly say that I've done that before. Uh, drank a decaf next to a, a non decaf side by side, so it'll be really interesting. 
Kyle, I really appreciate you just taking some time to talk to me about Blue Tail and about Breakers. And I'm excited to uh, to see what happens in June and hope that you guys get open and that it's not on the same day that your baby is born. <laughs> Maybe the day before or the day after. That'd be kind of cool. You know, before <laughs> would be good. After yeah. would be tough. So we're, we're open for before. Um, and if, if you guys, if anybody wants to follow us, we're on Instagram at breakers underscore Delmar for the shop. Um, and then at bluetail underscore coffee underscore Grove, if you want to follow us up at uh, blue tail and kind of see what we're doing up there. Yeah. Very cool. And I'll make sure that we link to all that in the show's notes. So anyone who's listening, you'll be able to find it. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining me and I hope you have a great day, man. Thanks Ryan. You too. I want to let you know that I just heard from Kyle this week and he and his wife did recently welcome a son Austin into the family. Congratulations to all of the Rosas. I'm happy for them, and I'm really glad they didn't have to simultaneously open the cafe. During the show, and as happens on lots of these shows, Kyle referred to the sea market price, which I'll remind you is the average cost of a pound of green coffee being sold on the commodities market. The coffee being bought and sold at this price is not actual physical coffee yet. It is a contract for coffee called a futures contract, meaning the seller is agreeing to provide the coffee in the future at a specific price and the buyer, often a coffee broker, is agreeing to buy it. Similar to the stock market, buyers and sellers of these contracts are hedging their bets that the price will go up or down in the future. Your small local roaster may not be engaging in these types of contracts directly, because the prices are based on the amount of coffee which fits into a shipping container, estimated at 37,500 pounds. But if they are buying from green coffee brokers, they are still being impacted by those contracts. And if they are buying directly from a farmer, the sea market price can still come into play as a barometer for what the market price is. Today's sea market price is about $1.50 per pound, which seems insanely low when thinking about what a farmer goes through to get those beans to the market in the first place and all of the other people that it goes through to get from the farm into my coffee mug. Be sure to follow at breakers underscore Delmar and at bluetail underscore coffee underscore grove on Instagram to stay on top of all of the opening plans for Kyle's new cafe and to follow along the growth of those coffee plants that he has in San Marcos. Also check out roastwestcoast.com for pictures of the orange-throated whiptail lizard, the one with the blue tail. Thank you to everyone who has been listening to the show. It is hard to believe that we are already in week eight of season two and there are only two more interviews to go. Next week, I talk to the team at Codal Coffee, and we close out Season 2 with an interview specifically about coffee and beer with Mike Arquinas from Moster Coffee. If you've got questions, please feel free to reach out through RoastWestCoast.com, in the Roast Facebook group community, or on Instagram, at RoastWestCoast. Let me know what you are liking and not liking about the show, who your favorite roasters are, or who you think would make for a great guest. And at home or out in a cafe, if you're vaccinated, you can actually go sit in a cafe again, which sounds amazing. Please tell your friends about the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Word of mouth is the best way to grow the show. Think of it like telling your friends about a hot new music artist who is about to blow up, the same way that I did with Alanis Morissette in 1995. If you are headed to RoastWestCoast.com, please sign up for the free newsletter or consider the paid subscription to show your appreciation for this type of coffee content. I couldn't do this show without all of you listening and sharing. 
And I definitely couldn't do it without the show's industry legacy partners, Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea. I drank some Zumbar this morning, actually. Steady State Roasting, Cafe La Terre, Coffee Cycle, Moster Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Brokers, and First Light Whiskey. They are my go-to coffee businesses when I'm looking for coffee excellence and coffee knowledge. You will find links to all of those industry legacy partners on the front of RoastWestCoast.com or in this episode's show notes, wherever you are listening. Thank you all for listening today. Roast West Coast will be back on Friday with a new episode of Coffee Smarter and my friend Chris O'Brien from Coffee Cycle. He'll dive a little more into the background on domestic coffee farming, the sea market, and the impacts we as coffee drinkers have on farmers worldwide. This episode of the Roast West Coast podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee.